Welcome to Human Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Lillianwall. On this podcast, I invite you to have the uncomfortable conversations with me, to stand in your power and explore the depths of your truth, no matter how difficult or taboo it may be. I'm showing up exactly as I am, and I'm empowering you to do the same. Let's dive in. and welcome back to another episode of Human Becoming Podcast. I'm here with my friend Tom Smalley and in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, we're going to talk a little bit about our mental health journeys and our struggles with with mental health. So I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell you guys a little bit about him and and his story. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So my mental health journey started when I was uh, 15 years old when I was diagnosed with OCD. And then later at age 18, I was diagnosed with BDD, body dysmorphic disorder. They tend to go hand in hand. So um, I kind of already always knew I had something going on. I I suffered from depression when I was a younger kid. Um, And then heading into middle school, I started feeling these OCD tendencies. And kind of obviously, you know, that was 10 years ago. We really didn't. It's amazing how much 10 years changes everything and how much we know now. And, you know, I was doing research on the internet asking pretty much, you know, remember that like website, ask Jeeves, like what's wrong with me? Like, like, why am I like repeating things and why am I doing different compulsions that I didn't realize were compulsions? Um, it was just a lot of repetitive behaviors. And then by the time I got to my freshman year of high school, um, four basketball games, I was, you know, I was running late to practice before games. I was tying my shoes um, like 25 times each. And it was just getting to the point where, you know, I couldn't even like play sports, couldn't go to school. Um, you know, I was walking down a hallway, stepping on certain tiles and kids were kind of looking at me like, what is this kid doing? Like, it's just not a normal thing for a high schooler to try to walk up. Yeah. I was kind of scaling the walls and and going in, in certain patterns. So, you know, once I got to my freshman year, I realized there's something definitely, uh, different about me and that's when uh i realized i needed to get help so i went to my parents they didn't i mean they have never heard of ocd really uh obviously ocd is so stigmatized it's used as an adjective so many times so um they didn't use it like that but they just didn't understand what what it was and they didn't know if what i was dealing with was actually ocd so uh, i went to one one psychiatrist didn't connect with them couldn't really figure out what was going on. Um, then I went to another one that said they treated OCD and said I didn't have OCD. So then I thought I didn't have OCD. And then I went to Amy Common in Westport, uh, right near my house. And I mean, at that point I was probably, I mean, my mom tells me she was, she was considering an inpatient clinic because there was really nobody around us that specializes in CBT and ERP, which is obviously exposure response therapy. And that's the, that's the kind of the formula for OCD treatment. So when I got to that point, uh, we were very blessed to meet with Amy and I kind of connected with her immediately. Um, and she specializes in ERP and, you know, put me through assessments and and she said I had severe OCD and, wasn't exactly sure what the the past 
people that I've seen were thinking, but I definitely needed to, to get that help. And, you know, that's when I started my medication and my ERP journey. And, uh, I started speaking. I was, I started ERP when I was a sophomore in high school. And then I probably started speaking when I was, I think I was a junior in high school. Um, I spoke at Yale the first time at a child study center, uh, for an awareness event for our, uh, state affiliate OCD Connecticut. And from there, it was just me sharing my story. Um, and then I went to the OCD conference and I met our good friend, Chris Tronson, and he was running the young adult track and I got up from the audience and shared something. And then I met up with him after the comp after the conference and we exchanged numbers and the rest is kind of history. I started sharing at each OCD conference. Uh, I sh have shared at schools, uh, universities, colleges in New York and Connecticut, uh, some elementary schools to educators. So I've been really blessed to be able to start speaking on it. But I mean, it's not that in that time I didn't have those, you know, those same OCD struggles. So I mean, it's been something that's ongoing and even today you know i'm 22 years old turning 23 soon and i still you know i still have my anxiety hierarchy i still am practicing erp um just making sure it's you know about a lot about maintenance and making sure that things don't don't come with my ocd yeah yeah i um well number one thank you for the work that you do in the community it means a lot to, to all of us to know that we're not alone and you know, the more that we talk about it, the more that we normalize this conversation, the the easier it is for people to find help and to open up about, you know, the struggles that they're having. Because I know, I'm sure you probably experienced this as well is, you know, it's scary to open up and say, hey, I think there's something not not normal or um, yeah. something different about me. And I like that you said different rather than wrong, because, right. you know, there's not, it's not that we're broken we just got this thing and like, it's just yeah, exactly. you know, maintained. Right. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for the work that you do. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's the reason why I bring, well, the reason why I created this podcast and the reason why I bring people on the podcast that I know are willing to have this conversation and people that I know is because, I feel like this is a conversation that we would be having, you know, without it being recorded, right? Like we would right. be openly talking about our struggles. And I feel like the more that people can hear, oh, this is just, these are just two friends sitting here having this conversation. It just happens to be recorded. Then maybe right. start talking to my loved ones about this too. Maybe I can reach out, you know, to people and, you know, this conversation isn't as taboo. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's you make a good point. I think that's the the main thing about mental illness still is just it's very taboo, very um, talked about in the wrong in the wrong tenses in the wrong uh, context. And you know, I think that a lot of there's so many negative attachments to it that we're still trying to kind of uh, detach and and make people realize that you know, like you wouldn't make fun of somebody for having a broken leg or having an immune deficiency, but you're you know, making fun of somebody that has mental illness, it's not, it's, just, it's the same thing, you know, you, you can't do that. And realizing that we need more sensitivity to mental health and uh, more sympathy towards it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Cause I, I know I've definitely experienced um, some pretty, um, 
I don't want to use the the word cruel, but like there is no other word like reactions to me sharing the things that I've gone through. And, you know, now I can openly talk about my OCD subtypes, which are, were harm OCD, intrusive thoughts and relationship OCD. And, um, and then of course, like other things like to trinkle in, right. But those yeah. were the main things, right. And so, you know, opening up about, you know, the, the nature of my intrusive thoughts around like harming myself or harming other people and, and being terrified of, of talking about those things, but even more terrified about what those thoughts meant about me as a person. Um, you know, it was really challenging. And I, I definitely have experienced people shunning me or, you know, judging me or, you know, saying that I shouldn't talk about things like right. that because people are going to get the wrong idea of me. I remember one time I was, um, I was trying to make uh, light of a conversation between a friend and I that uh, she's also part of the community. And we were talking about intrusive thoughts. And um, I think mine were about harm and hers were about something else. I can't remember exactly what hers were about, but I made a post and um, this was on social media and I had said something like, you know, it's so amazing to normalize these conversations and to have people that can, you know, you can say, Hey, I'm having this ridiculous thought and, you know, just kind of, um, you know, find light in it. We were finding humor, you know, we were just like, we were calling OCD out for what it is, you know? And um, I had a, a friend of mine, she wrote me immediately and she was like, you cannot say that you sound psycho you saw you know people are never gonna you know trust you uh she was like you're gonna you know she just she blew up my phone with saying that like you know this makes me want to not let you around my kids and I felt so much shame right I can only imagine yeah yeah and it was and it was interesting because I was like oh man like you know a large part of my uh like social media community is the mental health community. Right. So when I posted it, I posted it like, uh, Hey, look guys, like this is, this is me just openly talking about something that is, is taboo. And that's, you know, I'm trying to be brave, right? Like I'm trying to just normalize conversation. And it was like one of my childhood best friends wrote me this paragraph and I felt like, Oh my God, you're right. Somebody's going to think that I'm a monster and that they're, you know, they're going to just totally, um, yeah, like, I don't know, I thought my life was going to be impacted negatively somehow. And so I took the post down and kind of had to process through that. And that's just one example of many things where, um, you know, I've been made fun of at work, you know, people being like, Oh, did you go to the bathroom? Cause you had to wash your hands. And I'm like, right, right. You know, just, just jokes yeah. and stuff like that. And so, yeah, definitely. And like they've, a lot of times I feel like when you, when you explain OCD to people, they think that, you know, they're, they think that it's good to laugh about it. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's great to to have a sense of humor, but certain things are just, you know, off limits. And, you know, I dealt with that, um, you know, at my, in my career in college, I worked for somebody that just, uh, you know, I confided in and I thought that I could trust them. And, uh, you know, it ended up, I told them about my mental disorder, my OCD and BDD, and they, you know, were saying, belittling me every day saying different things that were just things that you shouldn't say to people. And I think that's why we need to kind of realize that, you know, OCD, uh, OCD mental health in in general needs the same attention that physical illness and physical injury has as well, because you wouldn't say those things that are off limits to people with, with physical injury that you would to mental people with mental health issues. So I just think that, uh, I have learned, like as an advocate, the 
the unfortunate truth is that like we share so much that, you know, I had to learn the hard way that you're not going to always get such a positive reaction. Some people I call it just in, in, inner innocent ignorance is just like, you know, you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. You know, that, that's one of my favorite expressions. You know, I can advocate so much, but if they don't want to learn about what OCD is, or if they want to be stuck in their, their traditional ways of, of thinking about mental health in, in a certain way that was from 1960, then, you know, so be it, you know, we're doing our job of educating, but we can't force them to listen. So, I mean, I guess it, I think, you know, as time has gone on, I've gone to thicker skin with those different comments that I get and realizing that, you know, you know, the world is a good place, but there are some people that will just not, will kind of knock you down and you're going to get some certain comments here and there that you're not going to love. But my feeling is, you know, per one of those comments, you're helping so many different people in between that. So it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think that it's, it's amazing that you've experienced something that was probably really painful, right? Like if you confided right. and there was probably a sense of trust, um, right. you confided in this person and then to, to, it's like a betrayal. And I, I know, um, I've had that, I've experienced that within my family. I've experienced that within work too. So like, I, I am so with you on like experiencing that. And it's, it's something that I wouldn't wish on, on anybody. No, nobody. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also agree 1000% that, you know, it's, it kind of now, whenever I get any kind of ignorant comment, I'm like, man, you just motivated me a lot more to continue having this conversation. Right. And so exactly. it's cool to like use the the painful experiences or experiences that were once painful. And, and I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes they still sting, right? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. It, you know, it still stings, but like, um, using that pain and making it something that's purposeful because I'm like, okay, you know, I can take it. You know, I've been at this for a long time. I know who I am. I know that nothing that I, I deal with or that I've been through defines me. So I'll still continue having this conversation and I don't really give a crap about like what's right. Things. And, um, not everybody is there. So it's like, you know, you're giving voice to the people that aren't um, using their voices yet or can't use their voices. And so, um, you know, it's, there are people who can't speak out about things because of their cultures or, you know, there's just a lot of different, you know, a, a lot of different scenarios. And so people like us that are, are blessed enough to be able to have this conversation, you know, pretty freely, right? Like right, you might, right we may get some like mean comments, but that's about it, you know? And there are people that obviously can't have this conversation openly. Yeah, definitely. I think also um, just the fact that, you know, that we've, we've learned that, that there, there will be some comments that are going to hurt us and, you know, preparing for those. I I agree. I think sometimes it does still sting. Um, Like what you're saying, like I was in CVS the other day and someone, I like, I mean, you know, you're supposed to be could keep your distance now, obviously, but like I hear someone say, I'm so OCD, like I'm, I need that in a straight line or, or whatever the comment was, you know, I hear that so often. And sometimes those are the ones that sting the most because I can't just go, yeah, sometimes it's hard to just go up to somebody and start spilling the beans about what OCD is. And, you know, as much as I love advocating, you don't want to come off as um, what they think you are of, of uh, you know, rational or abrasive and stuff so you want to make sure you're doing it in a calm manner make sure you're educating but not you know coming at people like with uh rapid fire information and just kind of overwhelming them 
And that's why that's what I've kind of learned is kind of, unfortunately, at advocates, you kind of have to pick, pick your battles and um, decide which ones can have the most, reap the most benefit of uh, the advocacy. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it, it was interesting because I worked in the mental health field for a long time. Right. So you would think that a lot of the conversations wouldn't be, you know, um, like trivializing OCD or any other kind of thing. But I remember like, you know, it was like my boss of this, of this establishment or this treatment center that I worked at. And, you know, just all the time, I remember like we have, you know, OCD awareness week, we have an event in Orange County every, um, every year. And I've been going for years. And I remember, you know, telling him like, yeah, this is what I did over the weekend. I went to the OCD, um, awareness event. And he was like, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, we had it like a carnival style. So we had like face painting and I was like really excited, you know, just like talking right. about, um, because it was also part of, which was interesting because it was part of why he wanted to hire me because I am so immersed in the community and I've like, uh, right. per- like professionally, but personally. Right. And so, um, he was just like, Oh, what did that carnival look like? Did you have like a hand washing station? And then, you know, something over here where you're organizing things. And I remember just looking right. at him. Yeah. And I just remember looking at him and I was just like, this is, and like, I already knew, like at that point, I started to kind of figure out what kind of uh, like his character, right? So, but I just right. looking at him and being like, "Wow, that's really interesting." Like, like I can't you know? believe you said that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was kind of like, you know, that that's like wrong on so many levels, right? And like, you know, I I, I don't know what part of him thought that it was appropriate or like what I don't know if his intention was to be mean or just to kind of like bring light to it, you know, but I also feel like in terms of humor, you and I can sit and have a conversation and like kind of bring light to the things that we've experienced where somebody who somebody who has not experienced it and does not it doesn't have the ability to really relate to the struggles that are involved with mental health issues. Um, you know, for them to make jokes, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little, it, it's a, it's very different. You know, I, I totally agree with that. I think when they, when people say like, oh, you have to have a sense of humor about it. Like it's good to laugh about it. I think that's true when you're talking, when you're in a support group with, excuse me, with other people and, or if you're talking one on what we're talking right now, we've both dealt with this, with similar things. I think it's, you know, if we laugh about something, we know we both experienced it. But when you're talking about to somebody that hasn't, it doesn't know what we go through on a daily basis and tries to make a joke, it's usually not well-received. You know, I, tr- I try to keep a, an open mind and a good sense of humor about things, but someone that hasn't been in my shoes and hasn't seen that rock bottom of OCD, I don't really want to hear a joke about, you know, washing my hands. I feel like, especially during this COVID situation, uh, a lot of times it's been, it, uh, I think the IOCDF has done a great job at, at, you know, cranking out information about OCD and, you know, letting people know, like, about the different stigmas, especially with, because we're talking about germs and a virus and contamination OCD and how, you know, people are saying, oh, people with OCD are so lucky that they're already prepared for this. Well, not really, right? You know, it's, it's now they're even more fearful. You know, it's, it's a really tough situation for them, especially people with contamination uh, subtypes. So, I think that was a really, a really powerful point from the IOCDF. It's making sure that people know, you know, it's not this, you know, it's not easier for people with OCD just because they have OCD, you know, it's, um, so I think, I think that, uh, it's tough to, to kind of realize when to joke and when not to joke if you're somebody that doesn't have OCD, but, you know, I like, I like connecting with, with people and being able to relate, you know, one of my favorite parts about the IOCDF conference is, you know, when you get into that support group and you tell people 
I have this exact thought. And someone across the room raises their hand and said, you have that too. Oh my gosh, I have that thought also. And you, you know, you end up talking with, with them for an hour after the, the support group. And, you know, that's, that's what makes the conference great. So um, I think that those kind of connections are great, but I think when someone, you know, worries, a, w- tries to make a joke about OCD, especially in that light when they don't know what it's like, it's not going to be as well received as, as they would have thought. And, you know, you just have to kind of, they have to kind of find that line. Yeah, I agree. And I think that like over the years, um, I've gotten more and more, um, and this is just, this is just me. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. Like I, I for me, I've, I've started to get like, I've had more compassion for people that just make like these ignorant comments. Right. Also, I also understand that like, if I didn't have the experiences I had, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking about OCD. You know, I probably actually, Absolutely. I probably actually would have not a lot to do with the mental health community. You know, like I am right. where I am, um, because of my experience. Right. Right. But, yeah. Good, bad in between whatever that may be. And so I remember, I mean, even still, I get, you know, text of like, oh my God, does this totally make you mad? And it's just like some, you know, some post about um, OCD or, you know, that OCD target. Buzzfeed quiz about like straight line. Yeah. Yeah. It goes all the time. Yeah. Or the, um, you know, the um, obsessive Christmas disorder. Yeah. Like, and there was a time where like when I was really like at the thick of my struggles, when I was, um, I don't know if you know too much about my story, but like I was housebound for a full year. I didn't leave right. my house because I had harm OCD. And it, yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, it, it went into agoraphobia, and um, and then I also was sexually assaulted. So there was like this whole other element to it. Anyway, so um, you know, when I was really at the point of like I I'm struggling, nothing right now, like everything about my life is really difficult. Like I'm not functioning. Then. Right. I, the jokes hit me uh differently whereas now i i don't tolerate them you know like i set my boundaries with people i feel like if they if they um make comments or um you know i try to use as many of those in those situations as opportunities to educate but i think a lot of them kind of like roll off my shoulder in terms of like not taking them personally anymore. Um, and a big part of that like i said is because i'm like well you know what like if i didn't have OCD if I didn't go through these struggles, like I, I would not, I probably wouldn't know about it either. You know, I wouldn't know. Um, I, I, I probably would even make the same stupid comments, you know, like, and I don't want to say, I, like, I feel like saying stupid is mean, but it's, you know, whatever the ignorant, um, inconsiderate or, you know, just, yeah, ignorant comments. And, um, yeah, but it's, you know, it is, it's challenging. I remember like when I was, when I first got diagnosed and I was really in that dark place, there was a, um, there was a news story. There was some lady, she committed a crime and, uh, they were talking about how she had OCD. Her crime had nothing to do with OCD. It was just something that they were talking about in the news story as they right. were her background story, whatever it may be. And the news anchor, um, or the, yeah, the reporter, she was like, you know, yeah, she has obsessive compulsive disorder. She's clearly a nutcase. And my, I, I, this was probably a couple weeks into treatment. So I was still very unwell, very sensitive. Um, Yeah. Very unwell. And a big part of like, so her OCD had nothing to do with her crime, but her crime actually was like one of my triggers. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so it was like, I mean, of course like perfect exposure. Right. But, 
but my mom, my mom, I was watching with my mom. My mom saw me like crumble because it was, you know, it was, it was scary for me. This was, you know, something that had been battling a long time. I was still just learning about what ERP even meant. Right. Right. Um, And my mom wrote this lady, the gnarliest email I have ever. <laughs> yeah. My mom is very much like a, you know, like I'm going to send this person an email. I'm going to send them a letter. Oh yeah. My mom is the same way. My mom's the same way. Yeah. She, but she's, my- she's just, she's probably just as much of an addict as me now. Uh, oh yeah. My mom too. And it's so interesting too, because now working in the field for as long as I have my mom, whenever somebody has anxiety, my mom's like, Oh my gosh, you have to talk to my daughter. Like, yeah. you know, which is, which is such a beautiful thing. But yeah, she, um, but yeah, she wrote this email and she just was like, you know, calling her out on, on her wording and was just like, how, how dare you talk about, you know, mental health that way. And, and, you know, you should educate yourself. And my mom's from the Bronx in New York. So yeah. my mom's pretty like, don't mess with my kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah. just straight to the point. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's like, my mom does not sugarcoat anything. No, anything. Yeah. 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 But my mom saw me like, you know, she saw me crumble and she was just like, Oh no, <laughs> got on her computer, <laughs> you know, keyboard warrior. But you know, that's, that's all she could do to advocate for me at that point. And right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's also beautiful to see like the people that we've impacted, you know, like your family. Right. That they care, they care that much about you now to, to, and about what you go through that they, they want to help you in that, in that sort of capacity. And yeah. the fact that they'll put, you know, their, you know, their uh, words on the line to, to defend you and, and educate as well. So, I mean, that's like, that's, that's one of the most special things about dealing with mental health issues as, as the effect it's honestly had on my family and, you know, how, how they see me and how they see, people with mental illness now and how they see uh, that community is so different than probably when, you know, I was, I was undiagnosed. Um, I I think you make a good point. You know, I I would, I I don't think I would make the same, you know, my parents definitely raised me to be, to be sympathetic towards everybody's differences, but I I definitely wouldn't be here talking about OCD and I wouldn't be uh, the advocate I am today if I wasn't affected by it. And so you're right when you had to say that, you know, you had to kind of pick your battles because, you can't really get so absurdly upset. I think what what my problem was, you know, the first couple years when I was a teenager starting to talk about my story, when people gave me negative backlash, I got, I got filled with anger that like they weren't understanding what I was talking about or they were still being ignorant. But now I realize, you know, like if I didn't have OCD, I wouldn't understand it to this degree either. So, you know, you definitely have to give it, I try to cut people a little bit of slack now and just, just keep educating. You know, that's, that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, I get that too, because it's, you know, I had friends that, you know, I would try to open up and my friends were just like, uh, cool story, <laughs> you know? And then like, yeah, exactly. yeah. And stop coming around. Right. Like, and, and I ended up being like the friend with all the problems and I was, unwell, right. you know, whatever, like I, I played that role for some people. Right. And so, um, uh, you know, and I, and then I've had friends come back and say like, Hey, I'm so, especially now as I've like shared, right. Like, especially on social media, some of those people have seen my story and been like, you know, come back and kind of made amends and and said like, Hey, I was young. I had no idea what any of this meant. It kind of freaked me out and it was very taboo. And I was like, you know, actually I totally understand, you know, you know, know, they grow, they grow up. And so did we, you know, we've, we've been through treatment. We've been through experiences that, you know, we realized we weren't, they, they were young and naive. It's, it's, 
you know, they're not, you're always learning and growing. So, you know, the same person they were when they were 16 might not be the same person they were when they were 25, you know, it's just a very different age gap and realizing that, you know, these, they might've said things that, that upset you then, but didn't realize it was really even upsetting. you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I had a friend say like, I actually like kind of avoided you because I didn't know how to support you. Like I didn't know right. what to say, you know? And so it was easier for her to, you know, she was also very focused on like partying and like, you know, just living her life. Like she had a really strict, um, like a really strict upbringing. So she was finally at this age where she had freedom and, you know, and like she said, like, you know, what you, you were, all I knew was that you were like stuck at home and you didn't want to leave. And I, I wanted to go do these things and it was immature and, and I'm sure it was really painful and I'm really sorry. And, you know, I'm just like, this, and this was, this was like six, seven years later. So, you know, it was like obviously something that like she had enough time to kind of reflect. And I was like, you know, I don't hold any grudges because I may have reacted the same way. Right. And so, you know, again, like we said before, if I didn't have the experiences that I had, I wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't be have, you know, I wouldn't be who knows where I would be. Right. And, and right. Um, right you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, when you, when you go through certain experiences like related to mental health and addiction and trauma and all the things that are kind of in that, um, under that umbrella, you have a very different, um, life than other people. Yeah. It's amazing how, how, how much these experiences shape us and shape our future and how, you know, how much of an impact it still has on us today and where, where, where our experiences take us. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of leads me into a question I wanted to ask. So I know for me, um, my life drastically changed, obviously getting treatment and like, um, you know, being willing to be uncomfortable and to do all right. of the things that, you know, required, um, that were asked of me in terms of, of treatment and stuff. But a really big part, I think of my healing journey was, was choosing to open up about this stuff, um, you know, to more than just, my close circle. And so right. I'm curious to know, um, or I am really curious to know how advocacy and sharing your story and having conversations like this one has, has changed things for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's been kind of, you know, besides the ERP, obviously there's, you know, medical things that you, you know, you get, you start doing it are actually really helpful. Like Medicaid, I take medication, I take um, Prozac and then obviously I still do ERP and, you know, that formula is great, but the, the sharing, even when I wasn't being an advocate and I was just in a support group sharing with, you know, 25 other people that have OCD, you know, like just the sharing and it's like a weight off your chest, a weight off your shoulders. Not that you have anything to be ashamed of, but realizing that you don't have anything to be ashamed of and that other people deal with this and then proceeding to present at the conference. And, you know, after the panels, you have people come up to you, you know, now I have a huge group chat with people that I know of that have OCD and, and, you know, I can type something in there and, and say, is anybody dealing with this? And, you know, I'm going to get a response that's very similar. And, you know, just realizing that you have that, that community, I think that has helped me not relapse as much and also just, you know, let me be myself and realize and be comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, everything that you just said, hundred percent, I, I agree with it. When you have community, it's like just being able to walk into a room of people or, you know, at the conference, like I cried so much at the first conference I went to because oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, just seeing like thousands of people like that fly in from all over the world. I have like full body goosebumps right now. Cause like, yeah. I remember walking in and just being like, wow, like 
this many people understand I could stand up on a stage right now with all these people. And if I ask, okay, can anybody relate? Like everyone's going to raise their hand. Right. Exactly. And it was, and it was really like having that community, um, you know, cause I have a community locally and then I've just like kept, you know, growing. Um, you know, I know people now like you, like all over the country, all over the world that, that, right, right. that get me that are I'm like, these are my people. And not just because we have the same diagnosis, but it's also like, we can relate to things that like, uh, like kind of the ripple effect of going through things like this. Like I can, we can relate to struggle, which is something that is, um, you know, not necessarily something that's like uh, that bonds people, but at the same time, it kind of does, right? Like, yeah, for sure. like, Hey, I can have this heart to heart with, with you because like, I know you've been through some stuff and even if it's not OCD related, like it, it like you said, it, it shapes us in a way of like who we become and our values and our, our perspectives on life. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, something that I know a lot of, um, people of the community we've talked about is how, we have a very specific way of seeing life like this, um, this sense of gratitude for life, the way that other people may not, because we know what it's like to have, you know, I, my, my life for an entire year was my room. You know, I know what it's like to to have, to feel like I have nothing and, you know, no job and no friends and no, um, nothing to really live for if I'm being super, you know, transparent. And so, um, You know, so now being able to be like, you know, the the little things in life light me up because I'm like, I remember when I couldn't go to the market. I remember when I couldn't yeah. drive my car and now I'm like, oh, wait, you want to hang out? Oh, you're an hour away. I'll come because I can, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I totally, I appreciate your transparency. I agree. I mean, I, I, I was at the point where I didn't even want to live and I, I agree, you know, once you get back and you build yourself back up, you have this new appreciation appreciation for you know the little things that you kind of took for granted before then yeah yeah 100 percent. and just seeing I think part of what's awesome about community is that you can see like how people get better you know you can kind of you have this cool view into the future sometimes of well they're doing the work and it's you know and they're doing the work and they're doing the work and they're getting better and look at how much better their lives have become because of their willingness to, to trust the process. And, you know, they were, you know, they were really struggling, right? Like that's one thing that I, I, I hear a lot when I share my story is like, you know, and, and I'm very proud of my story and I'm sure you are too of, you know, this is where where I was. And now, you know, like at one point couldn't leave my room and now like, I'm going to jump on a plane and go to Costa Rica or wherever. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean, like you said, you know, I know you said this before, it like, doesn't mean that triggers don't come up. Right. Yeah. I think that's, you know, not to cut you off. I think that's something, you know, as an advocate and, you know, I, t- I, I have told, I talked to Chris about this, um, you know, because he had, he had won the hero award uh, before me uh, a couple of years before me. And, you know, he nominated me for the hero. He was one of the people that nominated me for the, the hero award when I won it last year. And, you know, we both had a sense of, you know, after, after we won it, like what's next and, and, you know, do we, the feeling of having to be, you know, a lot of pressure and it's not even from other people, it's from ourselves, you know, it's, it's self-created pressure. You know, I, I think after I won, it was such an honorable and like such a, uh, you know, indescribable feeling and moment for me and my family and I, and I think I actually felt a lot of pressure after that to be, you know, a poster boy or, 
to, of OCD recovery or to be, you know, perfect and not relapse. And, you know, that's, and then I kind of had to get back, you know, when I, when I started going back to therapy and doing the exposure as, and as I talked to my therapist, I, you know, we agreed, you know, that's not what made me a good advocate. You know, my, what made me a good advocate was my transparency in, in my journey and what, you know, showing people that, you know, I still struggle today and I still, I still have to trust the process and I still have to, you know, do different things that will help me uh, along my day. And I still have bad days where I, you know, I'm bedridden or I can't, I can't function. And, you know, it's just about getting, you know, past those days and then turning the next day good. And I think that, you know, as, as this year has gone on, I've kind of realized that, you know, I'm not a poster boy, you know, I won that award because, um, you know, I was nominated by the amazing people around me because I care so much about the OCD community, whatever, whatever it was for, you know, I think I took it at first because, you know, this is my, you know, this is my ticket. I have to be perfect from here on out. I can't relapse. And then I, I relapse and I realize, you know, my imperfection is what makes me a good advocate. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you saying all that because, um, number one, Chris and I, um, so the podcast episode that came out <laughs> is coming out before yours is, um, is with Chris, uh, Chris Tronson, and I'm sure a lot of people from those city community know who he is. Um, but we talked about our, our podcast episode was talking about like daily recommitment, right? Like, you know, whatever the day looked like before, or even the minute before you still take a deep breath and then recommit to the, to your goals, you recommit to your therapy, you recommit to like whatever it is that you're working on. And, you know, you're not, you don't, um, you don't let it derail you. Right. Like, because a Mm -hmm. lot of people, and I know that this was a thousand percent me. So, um, you know, when I would mess up, right. Or not even mess up, uh, like I would give into a compulsion or I would find myself doing some kind of behavior, whether it was OCD related, or it was just some other kind of like unhealthy maladaptive behavior. Um, I would beat myself up and I'd be like, I had this, this really, um, like you said, like I, uh, how did you put it? Like the self-created pressure, yeah. Um, and I had that for myself too, because I was like, I'm an advocate. Okay. I work in the field. Okay. I do like all of these things. Right. And I right. Was, you're treating patients. You feel the need to be, you know, look at me, look at me. I'm, you know, I did the work and like, I can't, I can't imagine the pressure you felt as you're treating patients. Yeah. Like, well, so, working with people. Yeah. Yeah. And so like with like clients and stuff, I was like, Oh my God, like I have to, I have to be perfect or I'm a hypocrite. And then I was like, no, you know what? Like, and and this is actually why I um I left the clinical world and started because I I moved to being a coach because I love it and I can jump on my platform and I can share as a member of the community and I can also share as a professional. Right, right. I can share I can I don't have to kind of put myself um in this clinical role where I have to like you know, pretend to be something and someone that I'm not. And I'm not saying that everybody does that, but I feel like a lot of people do. And I'm saying that just from what I witnessed working in the field. And that was something that I felt like was out of integrity. Cause I was like, I don't feel like I can really help somebody without being fully who I am, which is, right, right. is an advocate and a professional, you know? And, yeah, and, um, you know, that's, it's not one or the other, it's both. Like I am both. And so, yeah, you know, there are absolutely days where I'm triggered and my anxiety is high and like, there's, you know, stuff going on and I find myself like stuck or I find myself like feeling like I used to. Right. And it's like, okay, well you just do the best that you can in those moments. Right. right? And it's, 
And I love that you recognize that what makes you a good advocate is your transparency and your willingness to talk about what this really looks like. Because, um, you know, I think, I think having real conversations about what this looks like is so refreshing because on one hand you have like a lot of people that are like, Oh, you're going to, you're, you're going to struggle forever. And it's a very like doom kind of doom. Right, absolutely. And then you have other people that act like, Oh, I'm fully healed and I'm fully cured. And for us, we're like, no, we're, we're just humans and we're on the path and we're getting better and better. And we have bad days or bad weeks or mm-hmm. whatever it may look like. And then we learn from them and we keep moving forward. We just keep recommitting to, to whatever it is that we're, uh, like our goals, we keep recommitting to ERP and we can recommit to like ourselves, right? Because this really has to come from a place of like believing that you're worth getting better, you know, you know, cause I know a lot of people that don't think that they're worthy or don't think that it's possible, or they think that they're such a severe case that they're never going to get better. So why even try? Why even bother? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. that's something I hear daily. Like it's all, right. you know, I'm so severe. There's no help for me. And part of that is, you know, they've been told that by people. Right. You know? right. And so it's, there's just anyway, like, you know, all of our stories are similar, but also unique. And so it's I just, our own, yeah. Yeah. But I just love that, you know, what you said is, you know, you're a good advocate because you're transparent and because you're, you're true to like, yeah. Like people don't want, you know, I don't like, I know, I know I didn't, I didn't want, uh, I was drawn to Chris Tronson because he was so transparent and honest about himself and what his experiences, you know, people, I mean, I know people don't want really somebody that was at their place and never was there again, or, or just acts perfect all the time and, and isn't, isn't authentic and real, you know, people want to see, you know, the daily struggle, the daily grind of, of being who you are and, and chasing who, like who you want to be also having those slip ups and those, and those troubles along the way and realizing that that's part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to myself now, like if I have a bad day instead of, you know, obviously we all get into like the, the negative self-talk, right. Cause we're, right. Here. but I've really, really like one of my main like practices in the morning is, is giving myself permission to feel or to experience whatever I'm going to experience. Right. And right. I'm not enabling I'm not labeling my anxiety bad. I'm not labeling OCD as bad. I'm not saying that I'm broken or that there's something wrong with me. I'm just like, this is just an acknowledging those feelings. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, okay, you know, it's not a good or bad experience. It just is because I feel like one of the biggest things that creates more like conflict and makes it harder to like do the work or, you know, like you said, like when you're having those really bad days, if you're sitting there like, Oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. This is bad. You right. know, I'm broken. I'm never going to get better. It's going to be like this forever. Whatever the, the kind of the self-talk may be like, it's only going to make it worse. <laughs> you know, it's only going to amplify whatever you're feeling. And so for me, if I wake up and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like there's some anxiety there, or, you know, I'm ruminating about something. I'm just like, all right, like, you can be there. I'm still going to go about my day. Yeah. You know, like I'm just, I, and I, I think that like taking out the, the shame, the self shame yeah, was, absolutely. was really key for me because you know, hello perfectionism, right? Like, right. 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 You know? So I was like, I'm, you know, clearly I'm doing ERP wrong or, you know, whatever it is, you know? And so, right. um, 
yeah, it's just, I think that self-shame um, component was really important for me. And I, I know that's something a lot of people um, kind of like in their own way, that's just something I do for myself, but just something that is talked about a lot is, you know, you can't shame yourself into healing. You can't shame right. yourself into getting right. Um, into being healthy or, or getting better. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. Yeah. So can you tell everybody kind of what you're, what you really focus on now, like other than the, you know, the ERP and stuff like that, like what are things, what are ways that you really cope um, or things yeah. that you to cope? Yeah. So I mean, obviously, um, you know, it's funny, like, just like Chris, you know, he's, he's a red carpet reporter, you know, I kind of live two, you know, with my career, I kind of live two separate, you know, with my advocacy. And then I'm also a strength and conditioning coach, um, going to grad school right now for my master's in exercise and sports science. So it's kind of like two different, <laughs> two different lives, but I mean, I try to blend them as much together as I can, because, you know, I think that's going to be, a, make me a, um, a better advocate and a better coach, you know, when I'm dealing with student athletes, you know, how many athletes have mental health struggles, um, it, you'd be surprised how many do and how many don't really open up about it. So I try to blend them as much as I can. Obviously there's kind of a, uh, you know, when you're interviewing for jobs and, you know, something we, I, I know I've struggled with this. When should I tell people, you know, when should I be open about stuff? But, you know, at, at this point, you know, it's kind of all over my social media. It's kind of all over my, you know, if you look me up, like it's just, it's just kind of who I, it's part of who I am. So if, you know, my feeling is if, if somebody doesn't want to hire me because, I'm an advocate for mental health, then that's probably not someone I want to work for anyways. And that's kind of, you know, if that means I'm, I, you know, don't get a certain job that I want, then that's, that's life. You know, I, I want to be working for people that, you know, I have empathy towards that, um, towards a bit of mental health, uh, stigma. But so, I mean, for me, you know, I, you know, exercise is huge. Training is huge for me. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm definitely a spiritual, a religious person. So, um, you know, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today with, uh, without like my belief system, you know, maybe you know, my faith in God and that, that kind of, I think that could definitely has been, uh, a way to cope, obviously OCD attacks, everything we love. So I definitely dealt with scrupulosity, um, when I was in, in high school. So, you know, and with exercise, you know, that, that can definitely, uh, transform into BDD, uh, obsessions and compulsions. So it's, you know, it's tough, you know, the coping methods that we choose end up sometimes, you know, OCD sees that they're working. So then OCD attacks those. So it's just kind of, uh, you know, making sure, you know, in, a, you mentioned in addition to ERP, but tying kind of tying ERP into those and realizing that, you know, with those coping mechanisms, we also need to do ERP and it's kind of just a maintenance thing. You know, if I, the main thing that me, my therapist and I talk about is that, you know, not letting just one obsession or compulsion go by, you know, be like, Oh, just this one, because you know, that one turns into five, that one turns it for me, if, especially, you know, I just write OCD. So, you know, my number is 25, but if it doesn't feel right on the 25th, then I got to do another 25 times. And, you know, at my worst, I was what, 14 hours a day. So you don't want to get back to that point where one spirals into 25, you know, it, so just realizing and attacking that one that you're not going to let go and just, uh, you know, trying to minimize it, um, the best you can. I think that's, you know, the real, really the, uh, the best answer for me and, and, and keeping, uh, on top of my OCD. Yeah. And like what I, what I like a lot about your answer is the fact that number one, you're, 
you're saying, you know, you have, like, you find ways to tie into it. And like, you don't have to divulge to every person you talk to. Like, you, you know, it's not about being the quote unquote perfect advocate, right? Like right, right. to like sit in a, in a job interview and, and be like, oh yeah, you know, I have really good communication skills and I have OCD, you know, it's like, you, yeah, don't, have to, like, right. you don't have to do that. Cause I think part of normalizing it is like, yes, talking about it. And yes, like not being shamed. Like I've totally been walking by somebody in the grocery store and like started a conversation with them, mentioned mental health, like my mental health struggle and like just moved along and thought like, wow, I just told a random person in the grocery store, you know, and I just don't even think about it. Right. But at the same time, like, and I don't want to lead off with it, you know, like I yeah. have to cut you off. Like I, I've, you know, I've learned like, I want, you know, I, I'm okay. Talk. I'm, I'm definitely clearly okay talking about it. I love talking about it, but I want them to get to know me as a person and who I am and be around me and then learn about, Oh wow, he had he went through X Y Z like, and is here to tell the story and and is functions in this way and does his like his work ethic and realizes other thing, other you know qualities that I have and then realizes that I'm also a mental health advocate. And I think that, you know the ICF at the conference is a lot of good. You know, I'm not with my OCD seminars and kind of separating. You know, I'm Tom. I'm Tom, but I also have OCD. My OCD is not me. And that's, I think, as an advocate, that's also kind of a, um, a, a, a boundary you have to be careful of crossing and kind of merging. So, yeah, no, I 100%, uh, I agree because, um, yeah, what I was like leading into was the like, you know, we're not defined by our experiences. So, yeah, we don't have to divulge it. It's like, you know, I don't think that you know, choosing from like an empowered place to not, ex- not to tell somebody that I have uh, OCD is like me being ashamed of it. Sometimes it's just like not relevant, right? Like the same way as if you, you know, had any kind of other like issue that you dealt with, whether it was like a medical issue or just, you know, any, anything. Right. And so I think that's like one thing that I know a lot of people that are advocates or like trying to be advocates kind of struggle with is like, you know, do I have to tell everybody if I don't tell somebody, does it mean I'm committing to the, to the stigma? It's like almost, you know, it's almost like an obsession in itself, you know, like that quote unquote perfect um, advocate. But I also really like that you, like you look at things like, as a whole, right. You know, so you're saying, you know, you have like your, um, your religion and your spiritual beliefs, and then you have your, um, like your love for sports and you have all these things that that are really, you know, part that you've incorporated those things into recovery, because I think that's a lot of, and I think that's great because I think a lot of people think of, of recovery as a separate thing. But the thing is like recovery and healing, regardless of whether it's from OCD or it's from, you know, any, anything is an ongoing, it's an ongoing process. I feel like a lot of times, you know, I, I know I felt like I had to make up for lost time or that after I, you know, was substantially better and could go back to school and kind of function better and be social, you almost forget your identity and you have to kind of rebuild yourself. Yeah. And that took some serious time to do. Like that took five years for me. Like that, that it takes a lot of, I'm still building my, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, that's a process too, that uh, just realizing that that's a pro- an ongoing process and that like OCD kind of takes a lot of time away from you and kind of makes your identity dissolve and kind of be hidden for a while. And you kind of have to find your identity. Yeah. I love that you said that because that's something that I talk about a lot. And that's something that like, I actually like, if I had to highlight like what 
what I really work on with my clients is kind of the after the aftercare part of uh, recovery when they are recreating their lives. And it's like right. when, when you do struggle with, with certain things, especially, you know, we're, we're talking about OCD specifically here, but you know, even if I open that up, like for me, it was, you know, like you, you didn't just have OCD, there were other components there. And so like other disorders and you know, for me, it was, you know, the same. I had OCD and, and other things. And I really lost who I was in that time. Right. I, I couldn't even tell you what my favorite color was at the time. Right, right. I couldn't tell you, like, I, I, you know, I don't even remember, like, I know this sounds so weird, but maybe you'll, re- like, you'll relate. I remember back then, like, not even really when I would be eating, like, I didn't even taste my taste food. things. You're just on autopilot. You're on autopilot. Yeah. You're just like so disassociated. So it was like, I really didn't know who I was and what I liked and, and who I wanted to be. And I, and I didn't have right. any goals because I felt like, you know, for me, I was, um, on my way to, um, I was traveling when I was sexually assaulted and I was actually on my way to, um, I wanted to be a photojournalist and I was on my way to go to another country to build my portfolio so that I could apply to art schools for photography. And then that happened and, um, that kind of took away. Right. Every, right. I, and you know, and I, and I'm really careful. Like now I don't say it took away. It just, it redirected mm. me because I really do right. feel- like, I really do believe that everything happens for a reason. Yeah, this absolutely. I'm a firm this, believer of that. Yeah, this is just, and I know a lot of people have a hard time hearing this when, when it's talking about trauma and mental health and stuff, but this is just like my personal belief for my journey is, is that everything happens for a reason. And I truly believe that, you know, everything, even the horrible things that like I went through um, were purposeful because I actually love who I am now and what, yeah, I, right, what right. I'm so grateful for this life. Right. But, um, you know, but it was so, it's so interesting that I was on my way to build this portfolio to apply for this school, you know, and then my whole life got, got turned around. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just important to know that like, there is this process of recreating your, your life after. And that's, like I said, that's what I, I specifically love to work on with clients is like, all right, like, cool. You have these tools, right? Like you're still going to use these tools. You're still on this journey, right? These things still apply. And like, who are you? What do you want? What do you like to do? Like, let's start to explore and get really curious. Cause I actually think that it's, it's scary in a lot of ways, like putting yourself out there, right? It's almost like leaving the bird's nest in a way, like, as you know, like a baby birdie kind of, but it's also, it also gets to be really exciting because you get to create like who you are and, and really figure out. And a lot of people, even well into their adulthoods, like never have the time or never take the time to, um, to pause and, and question right, right. they are and, and, and what they like and, and any of those things and like get, get to know themselves. So, um, I'm, I love that. That's something that you're so aware of and like something that you're doing. Cause, and it does take, Definitely. it does. No, take, it takes time. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I almost don't want to ever be a, like done with that process because then you're kind of, you're not developing, you're not growing. And I think that's a process that you kind of don't, don't rush. You know, it's, it's unique to us and you know, it's, it's important to kind of, you know, take it as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can also choose to never be done with that process. Right. Right. Absolutely. More, always. There's always more to learn. There's always more to like, learn about about ourselves yeah definitely 
Yeah, for sure. Well, to kind of wrap up here, can you tell everybody um, like where they can find you in terms of like, cause I know you do a lot of advocacy work on your social media. So yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at real T smalls. So um, just really easy. Uh, and then, um, and then on YouTube, I have a, a two video, two video documentaries about my life with mental illness and OCD. Um, the page is called struggle into strength. And you can find that on YouTube. Okay, awesome. So um, for anybody who looks at the show notes, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it there so they can see. But some people, I think, can just like remember that. But um, thank you so much, Tom, for coming on here and car- like, carving time out of your day to share your story. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you. I appreciate the, the work that you do. And I'm, I'm very grateful to know you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you.